Bibles tonight. And I'm not sure what a sinner you are or how you might have come in tonight, but I know what a Savior he is. What a wonderful thing it is to know the Lord and the grace and mercy of something of God that we cannot overestimate. And uh, I love the song that said, God's grace reaches farther than sin could ever go. I like the verse, the Bible verse that says, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Say, so what does abound mean? Abound means to exist in great quantities. It means to go beyond the limit of, it's in excess of. You know what the Bible's saying? It's saying where sin existed in great quantities, grace always exists in a greater quantity. That's a blessing to me to know there's forgiveness and mercy in God. And that makes revival possible. He said to the children of Israel, he said, uh, I, I am the Lord and I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And I'm glad God is rich in mercy and all those Bible verses that come to my heart and mind uh, when thinking about the grace of God. And boy, I'm so thankful for that. I can't get over it. Still singing about it after 29 years of knowing Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I haven't gotten over what a Savior he is yet. I'm glad about that. Uh, the Bible says, Romans chap- um, Revelation, excuse me, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. This is typically one of the messages I would normally preach on a first night of revival, as in last night. But uh, I just felt like the Lord wanted us to go in on prayer. And uh, how many of you sometime today spent a little bit of extra time in prayer last night or this morning? Wonderful. And hands all over the auditorium. And preached on prayer last night. And I, I pray the Lord did challenge you. Somebody years ago, uh, Dr. Tom Williams, I saw his face on something out there, so it just reminded me of him, but uh, he was a person, been a personal challenge to me on prayer for many, many years, and uh, he, he's the one that challenged me. He said, there's a difference between having a prayer time and a prayer life. A lot of us have little moments of prayer time, but not many of us have a prayer life. At one point in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, he got along with the Lord from what we can estimate through the times, about 14 hours that he talked to the Lord. He said, man, could I talk to the Lord for 14 hours? And uh, some of you, I've talked to you after church, you can definitely talk for 14 hours. <laughs> and uh, some of you gave the gift of gab, and uh, the Lord blessed you above all that we could ever ask or think or imagine. But, uh, and I'm one of those people, by the way, I can talk. Uh, but I remember there was a young couple when I was in Bible college, and this was in the days where barely anybody had a cell phone. And I'm talking about barely anybody. And I remember him and his girlfriend had a cell phone and they could talk to each other. And I remember them at nighttime uh, talking basically until they fell asleep. I'm old enough to remember we used to fall asleep on the phone. Amen? And, uh, and uh, whispering sweet nothings until you start snoring. Amen? And, uh, and uh, it's like that one meme I see going around social media and uh, the wife is there and, and laying next to her husband, and he's just about to fall asleep, and she says, I just love him so much. And then the next scene, he's snoring, and she said, I can't take this anymore, you know? <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, uh, we, that's how we are. We're fickle like that, but they were staying on that cell phone, and uh, they went to sleep. And I discovered this. When you talk to somebody you love, it doesn't take much to spend some time with them. I think if we love the Lord a little bit more, maybe we'd spend a little more time with him. And I know some of you say, I love the Lord. Uh, okay. And uh, try that with your wife. I love you, honey, but I never talk to you. Can you imagine that? I mean, how'd your marriage be, preacher, 
And uh, probably like it is right now. No, just kidding. And, uh, and, uh, we solved the world's problems. He didn't say it was, never mind. But, uh, um, but uh, speaking of marriage, I, I discovered this today. And uh, it's something that's really spoke to my heart. And I heard a testimony today on social media. And this lady, it was an 80-year-old lady. And uh, she was getting married for the fourth time. Anybody heard about this? She got married for the fourth time, and a newspaper asked her if she wouldn't mind talking about her first husbands and what they did for a living. And so she smiled, and she said to them, she said, well, my first husband was a banker, and then I married a circus ringmaster. And then, she said, the next one was a preacher, and now that I'm in my 80s, I'm going to marry a funeral home director. That's what she said. Uh, when she was asked why the four men had such a diverse set of careers, she said this. She explained it. I married one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. Amen. And, uh, all you spiritual people know what that means. And uh, one fellow said, he said, he said I, I hate people that knock on my door and tell me that I need to be saved or I'm going to burn in the fire. Stupid firemen, amen. <laughs> but uh, anyways, but I'm glad to be here tonight. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I have, I've enjoyed fellowshipping with almost everybody here. Um, no, everybody here has been good, man. Uh, just hearing what the Lord has done uh, in, your, in some of your families, I've been able to hear how some of you come to Christ and, and uh, uh, how the Lord's been working in, in many of you and your testimonies. And, and we got to have, I got to have, what, what would we call it? Lunch, dinner? Leonard, and uh, oh, you and me were brunch. I'm, I'm talking behind you, preacher, and uh, preachers always got to think we're talking to them. No, but uh, we did have a great brunch today. He, he was right. We did solve all the world's problems today, and uh, by the way, did anybody catch last night that he said I was his spirit animal? Did you catch that? I felt pretty good. I was like, I've never been called that before. I was like, good night. I felt special. I might stay here a little while, but uh and uh, we did. We have a great time. We've, we've been having good fellowship over the Word of God and uh, philosophizing. And, and I'm glad. I'm glad for people that are on the same page, and that's God's page. And so I've appreciated him and his fellowship. But I got to eat by your last name. Excuse me. What? Spranger. Spranger or Sprunger? <laughs> Whatever I want. And they said. They said, "What do we call you, brother Allen?" I said, "Call me anything, but late for dinner." <laughs> and uh, head up by the Spranger family. And uh, they were so kind to us. And we had some ribs, and we had some chicken. And uh, I, I was a little offended yesterday, though. You know, she asked me if I like ribs, and then she asked me if I like chicken. And I said, is this a racial thing? <laughs> I said, let me guess, we're going to have some watermelon, too. For <laughs> Then she offered me some grape drink when I came over to the house. It was just... Mark them that cause division among you, the Bible says. And uh, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. <laughs> but uh, I joke around way too much, so excuse me. And uh, forgive me for the next five minutes. But uh, I, I said one time, I was preaching at a church, a large church, and uh, my sermon didn't make it to the, their, their website. And uh, I, I understood why. Because I, I, I was telling some jokes before the church service started. And I said... You know, talk about that rib thing. I heard preachers. Now, now again, everybody all right in here? I'm, everybody's comfortable with each other, right? We're all, we're all children of the Lord in here. 
And uh, there's no difference a Jew or Gentile in the New Testament. And uh, so if I crack some jokes. And, uh, but uh, I, said, I said, all growing up, of course, I, a lot of churches I've been in, my pastor is Italian. You know, and he's half Italian, half Irish. That's a bad combination. <laughs> and uh, they'll drink you under the table, then they'll bury you in the table. And, uh, but um, but uh, he, was, he was my, so a lot of our preacher friends, you know, and uh, they, they've been uh, pigment challenged. That's a good way of saying somebody's white, amen? But, uh, and I heard all these, all these lighter colored preachers when I was growing up, and they'd say, they'd say, you know, and they'd try to be funny with me, and they'd say, you know, Brother Allen, that, that uh, Adam wasn't black, right? And I said, what do you mean by that? And they would say to me, well, have you ever tried to take a rib from a black man? And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Well, listen here, brother. I just met you tonight. I had, it, took the, it took the Lord 20 years to let me get a comeback for that. <laughs> Finally, I said, I studied the Bible out a little bit. I said, you know, they kept saying to me, you know, Adam wasn't black because he tried to take a rib from a black man. I said, matter of fact, that proves that Adam, the first man, was black. I say, how do you know that? Because God had to knock him out to take his rib. <laughs> Think about it. Let that marinate on you. That's, that's deep spiritual right there. And uh, by the way, isn't racism just stupid? You know, you, know what, you know what Adam means? Anybody know? I wish it did. And, uh, and it means red. It has to do with red. The Bible says you reach down to the dust of the earth. You ever seen white dust? Most of it's a little bit colored. I never saw, I never saw black dust either. It's called mold. And, uh, <laughs> God didn't create somebody white. God didn't create black. God created us out of the dust of the earth. Amen. By the way, dust, it's, it's pretty diverse what dust looks like. And, uh, and Preacher and I were just talking a little bit about that today and just the, the foolishness. And, and uh, God always dealt with the nation of Israel. God never puts a blessing on one race or another. And by the way, we've got both extremes of people out there. Uh, we got some people that, some people who tried to, I, a couple years ago, I was reading up on some, I'm getting to my message here. You're going to wish I was telling this story in a minute here, because this, is, this isn't a nice prayer message like last night. And uh, uh, some folks said, uh, some folks were con- trying to convince me, some of my cousins, and uh, they said, the sun hates white people. You know, I go out in the sun, nothing happens, and I get a little bit darker. And they said, but white people, you know, the sun hates them. And so they got to, I'm thinking, what are you talking about? And I just couldn't believe it. And we've got the extreme on both sides. But I'm going to tell you this. I love this. Uh, was it Acts chapter 17, verse 17? God has made of all nations one blood. One blood. I had a man tell me one time, and I won't get into the story tonight, but uh, he had some issues with people that were my complexion. And I said, I said well, sir, you're going to have a problem with Jesus Christ. Because Moab was a country of dark-skinned colored people. And Jesus has Moabites in his heritage. Anyways, that was free. Revelation chapter 3. I better start preaching or I'm going to start preaching. We'll stand for the reading of God's word tonight. The Bible says, verse number 14, And unto the angel of the, of the church 
of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen. Who's that talking about? Jesus is the Amen. The faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. That thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. God said, you make me want to vomit. Puke. Upchuck. Toss the cookies. Hurl. Blow chunks. Anyways. And uh, he said, because you're lukewarm. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable. And uh, uh, I got so many writings in my Bible right now. It's underlined, circle, and highlighted. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counted thee by me of gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve and thou, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in unto him and will sup with him and he with me. And to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We find here a church that, Paul, and by the way, let me say, these are seven literal churches that he writes to in the book of Revelation. These are seven literal cities that he's writing to in the book of Revelation. However, it would not take a deep theological discussion uh, to figure out, and a historical uh, a reference guide to figure out that at one time or another in history, these churches have been the prevalent church at different times. And I don't think it would take any amount of genius. I don't think it would take uh, some hyper-dispensationalist to, to explain to us that we now live in the age where the Laodicean type of church is the prominent church. That's where we're at right now. It's the church, and as a matter of fact, I'll probably get into it somewhere in the message here. It is the last of the seven churches that he addresses, and then he is, says, I stand at the door and knock, and, 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 uh, and then all of a sudden, we get, that's the last time, by the way, the church is ever mentioned in the book of Revelation. It's right here. And then after this last church, we get into chapter 4. And I was in the Spirit on the, on the Lord's day, and I heard the sound, as it were, of a trumpet saying, come up hither. There's your rapture right there. And if this is the last days, if this is the last church, what do we do about it? If this is the last hope opportunity, I hear Christians all the time, well, we're in the last days. And I believe that tonight. I mean, I believe that we may not be even in the last days. We might be in the last hours, in the last minutes, in the last seconds of this time. But what do we do then? Yet here's the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of this messed up church. He's knocking at the door. Saying, you got one last chance. 
to have revival. I'm going to preach to you on that tonight. One last revival. One last revival. Father, we thank you for your goodness. I pray that you'd help me tonight. I sure do need your help. I cannot do it on my own. As a songwriter put it, we need to stand in your strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail us. We dare not trust our own. All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. And Father, I pray tonight that your spirit would be evident in this place. I pray that you would do something in and through your servant tonight uh, that it might please you and that you might be exalted, that people might get right with you and people might, until the last one is done, Lord, I pray that we'd be standing saying we want revival. We want revival. In Jesus' name we pray. Save the lost man that's here. Convict the saved man. In his name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. It's amazing when you begin to study these churches in the book of Revelation. I want to show you something that you probably never realized when you looked at these churches in Revelation. Turn to Revelation chapter 2, just one page over in my Bible. The Bible says this, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Go down to verse number 8. And of the angel of the church in Smyrna write. Verse number 12, unto the angel of the church in Pergamos. Verse number 18, of the angel of the church in Thyatira. Go to chapter 3. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis, write. Verse number 7 of chapter 3, and of the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. But when he gets to this church of the, in Laodicea, he does not say the church of Laodicea. He does not say, uh, write the church in Laodicea, but he writes this. He said, I want you to write to the church of the Laodiceans. It's amazing the distinction that, the grammatical distinction between these two. He said the church in here, the church at here, the church of here. But when he came down to Laodicea, he did not say their city. He said this is a church of the Laodiceans. Now to understand that, you've got to understand what Laodicea means. The laos, the laity, the people. Decia, city ruled the rights. Here's what Laodicea means when you begin to study this word out. It means the rights of the people or the laity in the church. Isn't it amazing that God would say, this is not my church in Thyatira. This is not my church of Ephesus. This is not my church in Smyrna. This is your church. To understand that, you'd even have to go back further in the chapter 3. I had a good friend of mine, and he said, Brother Allen, he said, can I ask you this? And I had preached out of this passage before, preached out of it many a times before. And he said, Brother Allen, he said, can I ask you a question? Why is Jesus knocking at the door? Why is he knocking at the door? I was trying to come up with some deep theological truth. I was, you know how us preachers are when another preacher asks us a question. Well, you know, in the Aristotle, didn't indicative tense of this Greek verb right here. Well, if you look at this thematically throughout the scripture, if you rightly divide the word of God, according to this dispensation, it's over here. And, you know, this is pre-law. And so 
I'm trying to come up with a deep answer. He said, no, no, no. He said, I want to know, why is Jesus knocking at the door? And I said, I know, but what do you think? <laughs> Listen to what he said. Because he's outside. He's outside. And I thought in my head, oh, my goodness. How do we get to the place in our churches where Jesus isn't even welcomed in his own house. And this made me think this is possible that Jesus Christ could be on the outside of our church trying to get in. Could it be that the Lord Jesus Christ, he's looking for a group of people, he's looking for a church, he's looking for a preacher, he's looking for an evangelist, he's looking for a pastor, he's looking for a staff, or a deacon, or a mama, or a daddy, or a young person, or some a teenager in the church that just simply will open the door and let him in because he is able, he is willing to send revival, and yet he is on the outside knocking, saying, who in the world wants to let me in? Wouldn't it be good this week if we just bust a door? wide open and said oh God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob we need you would you come in sometimes people will say to me brother Alan I want you to come in and I want you to make yourself at home you ever had somebody say that to you at their house they said that to me this afternoon I said to the dear sister I said you want to make me you want to make you really want me to make feel like I'm at home she said yes I do I said do you really Want me to feel like I'm at home? And she said, yes, I do. I said, then can you mess up your hair and yell at me a little bit? No. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say that, but I wanted to no. know. But uh, they tell me all the time, make yourself at home. If I'm going to make myself at home, I'm going to throw everything, you know, get down to my T-shirt, get me some, you know, old ripped up jeans, get me a Coke, put some Cheetos on my stomach right over here, and uh, some cheese dip from last week over there. And uh, you know how it is. You got your comfortable clothes at home. You know what I'm talking about, that shirt that's got a rip so long you can fit the San Andreas fault inside of that thing? You know what I'm talking about, those pants that should have been burned about three years ago? Socks that are so holy you think Jesus wore them one day? Thrice holy, holy, holy. <laughs> Make yourself at home. You know what you're saying? I want you to be comfortable here. Go in the refrigerator if you need something. Go over here if you need something. The restroom's over there. This is over here. Uh, go get go, whatever you want. Just make yourself at home. What would it be like if we just opened the doors of our church spiritually and said, Jesus, come in? You can change the channel if you want to. You come to my house and you take my remote and change my TV, we're going to have a fight. <laughs> but if you really mean make yourself at home, it doesn't matter who controls the clicker. There are some of you, some of you, some of you Jesus take the wheel and you won't even let him change the radio. <laughs> you say, I sure would. Then why do you listen to what you've been listening to on the radio then? Because I don't think he turned it to that channel. Jesus, take the wheel. What a joke. You just have that bumper sticker, Jesus is my co-pilot. Can I say to you, if he's your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. He ought to be driving this thing. You ought to be in the trunk somewhere. And I deserve to be dragged behind the car somewhere. But what if Berean Baptist Church 
would just open the door this week and say, oh, God, come in and rearrange it. Whatever you want to do. Lord, come in. What, 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 if, what if during the song service you just threw the doors open wide and said, Jesus, we want you in the song service. And the song director doesn't have to pull teeth to get us to sing and worship God. What if you just threw that door open wide and just started worshiping him? You make fun of charismatics all you want to for speaking in tongues and rolling around like a chicken with his head cut off. And we sit there like a wooden statue and never move and say boo for God. You say, is God in that, all that commotion? I don't, I don't think so, but he's also not in all that death either. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The charismatics, they got all the spirit and they got no truth. Us Baptists, we got all the truth and we got no spirit. But I'm glad I can worship him in spirit and in truth. I'm glad I can go to some old-fashioned worship services where you can just throw the doors open wide. And listen, I'm not talking about doing something that's not scriptural. I'm talking about what the Bible says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And I'm telling you, I go around to a bunch of churches where they are so tight they squeak when they walk. What if we open the door to worship wide and say, Jesus, come on in. And you can disturb our little worship service. I was preaching one time. Listen, you, ain't, you, you don't have to act like Brother Allen does. Listen, I, I'm a shouter through and through. And uh, my wife will shout if you let her. And, uh, and we're, we're, we're shouters through and through. Listen to me tonight. I'm not saying you have to act like I do. I'm not saying you have to act like any other church. I'm not saying you got to be like anybody else. But is the door open to worship? I like going to churches where I can raise my hand and don't have to be in a business meeting or have a question. <laughs> By the way, it's biblical. I would that man would pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. We were worshiping long before the Pentecostals ever had Azusa Street Revival. We've been worshiping God since Acts chapter 2. I still believe that everything that hath breath praise the Lord and Psalm chapter 150. We can even go Old Testament on that. This one really gets the Baptist people. You say, how do you know? Because it gets me. Praise him with the timbrel and with the dance. 99% of our churches, if we praised him with the timbrel and with the dance, we'd be getting church next weekend. Okay, I'll move on. And, uh, we know this. God's not saying, and by the way, God's not saying do the Tootsie Roll butterfly and, and, and the some other kind of sensual dance. That's not what that's all about. But he did mean this, throw the door open wide and worship me. Why is it when we got saved, we used, we used to, some of you used to sing for the devil and you used to open that door up wide, didn't you? I almost, saw, I almost, I almost start singing an oldie but a goodie right there. <laughs> I, a couple months ago, I was, I was doing a marriage banquet for somebody and each person, we had to, we had to sing, they had to, Six couples up here, and they had to sing a song to, they had different competitions, and we had to sing a song to our wives. I just so happened to be picked out of the crowd. My wife was there with me. And one, one fella sang, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy. And he's right on his knee, and I mean, it was like the sweetest thing in the world. They came to the other one, and, and, uh, and uh, I don't know what he's saying. You're, you know, hunk, hunk of burning love. I don't remember, I don't remember what he's saying. 
But I, I, I grabbed my wife's hand. I got on my knee and I said, I've got sunshine on a cloudy day. I had my kids behind me. Shoo up, shoo up. No. But, uh, <laughs> I'm saying some of us, boy, we used to sing for the devil. And we, I mean, it, look at some of the stupid songs we used to sing. I mean, t- testify. Stand up and testify. Just kidding. And, uh, <laughs> they, they were getting into it over there. I was like, come on, tell us about it, sister. Testify. No, I'm telling you, we just, we'd sing for the devil. Man, we didn't care how we looked. Remember, some of you used to listen to the hair bands of the 80s. I mean, that's going to be on a YouTube channel somewhere. Anyways, some of you, I mean, we used to go crazy for the devil. Then we come to church. Praise God from whom all blessings what what if you just open the door and that's not always a shout sometimes it's a tear I, I tell you one song that's been getting me and it's an old song and people wouldn't think be thou my vision O Lord of my heart not be all else to me. Save that thou art. Thou my best thought. Because I, man, I wish he was. I'm not there. But I want to be where the song is. And so, man, I get choked up thinking about it because that's where I want to be. Man, when I think about, uh, man, what he's done for me, come thou found of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Prone to wander, the last verse says, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And man, that's where I'm at. And when I worship, I, I remember, and I'm going to get off this point right in here, but I, I got a lot more to preach about. But watch this. I was singing in the service one time, and the preacher had asked me, we, it was there, it was, it was in a, a college-type setting and large church, about 1,500 people in the room. And he asked me to do like a little mini concert before the service started. Or not before the service, at the beginning of the service. He said, I want you to do about seven songs or so before the church starts. Like I sang tonight, man. But he said, he said, I want you to sing a bunch of songs and do like a mini little concert. And the problem was, uh, uh, I got I got to singing about the blood, and song after song on the blood and on the blood and on the blood. And and this one boy, he was from West Virginia, and he got loose in their dignified service. And I just started singing on the blood. And I start singing him after him on the blood. And, and uh, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood. Man, I, I was, it was just on. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I was on this side of the church, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw somebody walking up the aisle, and I heard them shouting. Now, unless you've been in a camp meeting before, you don't, you don't know what's about to happen. And I'm sitting here, and he's a shouting, and I'm a singing, and he's a walking, and I, he's a shouting, and I'm a singing, and I can't quite see him out of the corner of my eye, but I can kind of tell something's moving towards me, and he is shouting the glory. Here's what happened. Somebody came off the platform, came to where he was, sat him down. 
and then I got done and everything else, and somebody else came up to the platform and said, well, they said, we don't want to draw attention to ours. And I got what they were saying. And I'm not, I'm not, there's some attention getters in churches. And I thought, you know, uh, if we're not for drawing attention to ourselves, don't ever have somebody sing a solo. Because all the attention's on you. I felt, like, I felt like that one woman one time, she got the, Maze Jackson, I don't remember that name at all. Maze Jackson was preaching, he was preaching, he was preaching, and he was getting, I mean, he was getting on this, this, and this lady was back there, and she said, hallelujah, Brother Maze, hallelujah, glory to God. And that preacher got upset about it, he said, Brother Maze, and she got to standing up, and she was shouting, and she said, Brother Maze, you got to sit her down. And Brother Maze turned back, and he said, I didn't stand her up, and I'm not going to sit her down. And she got to shouting a little more, finally, that preacher signaled over, he got two of the deacons to carry that woman out of the church. And they're, they're carrying her, literally carrying her out of the church. And she said, hallelujah, Brother Mays. Glory to God, Brother Mays. She said, Jesus got to ride one in, and I got to ride two of them out. <laughs> you have to explain that to your kids later. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm just telling you, listen, and I'm not saying you got to act like that lady did, and I'm not saying you got to act like my buddy did and run in the aisle, but I am saying this. Why are we so closed up to the movement of God? Why is it that we talk about people like Jonathan Edwards in history? And by the way, all he did, he preached, not like I'm preaching tonight. He read his sermon in a monotone voice, but the power of God was there, and the doors were thrown open, and the people began to cry out, Oh, God, some of them thought they would go to hell from that spot right there, and they began to grab the pillars of the church, and it started a revival that literally changed the history of the United States of America. They weren't shouters. They didn't have a rock concert going on. They just had a spirit-filled man of God with the doors open and a group of people that threw the doors open and said, God, if you want to work, we're here. We want you to work. What if we were like that tonight? What if we just said, God, come in, adjust our worship, adjust our prayers. God, help us not to pray a bunch of dead prayers. We're not some ritualistic religion where we pray the same Our Fathers and Hail Marys at night. We've got a mandate of prayer from the Word of God and that we don't have to be a vain repetition. We don't have to pray some anemic, weak prayer, but we can get a hold of the throne of God. And how about we open the door wide and say, God, come in and change it all. If we're going to have revival in the last days, here's what we're going to have to have. Probably get through two of these points. I may preach the rest tomorrow, Lord willing. But if we're ever going to have any hope for revival, I want you to notice this point. Number one, I may not even get past this. Look at verse number 17. Because thou sayest, and by the way, we can go through some of these things here. He said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot, because thou art lukewarm. In verse 16, I will spew that in my mouth. Let me explain this very quickly. Here's not what God was saying. I heard preach all while I was growing up as a teenager. Men would get up and they would preach, Bless God, God would rather have you in the world worshiping the devil than he would having you being a lukewarm Christian. I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. God would rather have you out here. I'm like, dude, hold on. Let's look at some context of the Bible. Let's take like 30 seconds of historical and geographical studies. They tell us, according to the theologians and according to archaeologists in that day, the city of Laodicea had two sources of water. One was a mountain-fed stream, and they, there was cool water 
that was fed by. And others, they had some natural springs there, and that was the warm water. And what God's saying is, hey, you, you, if you don't have a purpose in the church, God won't, you make God want to vomit. There's a purpose for hot water. There's a purpose for cold water. There's no purpose except for breeding disease and death to lukewarmness. Some of you in the church, you may be the hot box. I mean, I'm talking about you may be the one that, that's, you're fire. And, and, and man, uh, you, you light things up and things are going and they're loose and, and the spirit is good. And yet some of you in the church, even though you're not the shouter, you may not be the praiser, but you might be that cool, refreshing drink of water to the man of God. You may be an encourager to other Christians. There is a purpose in both of you. But he says some of us are good for just about nothing. And that makes God want to vomit. But then he says this, he said, because thou sayest, verse 18, I am rich and increase of goods and have need of nothing. And yet knowest not that thou art miserable and wretched and blind and naked. Watch this. If we're ever going to have revival, here's my point, and we're going to the house. If we're ever going to have revival, the first thing we're going to have to have is honesty. Honesty. The average church member in my church, it's, it's hard to get to people to even admit that they need revival, let alone get revived. I've often said the biggest lie ever turned in church, the biggest lie that I believe that ever has been spoken in church is, how you doing, brother? I'm all right. I'm good. I'm okay. And yet in this book of Revelation right here, this Laodicean church, he's basically saying, listen, we're not okay. We need the Lord. And some of you tonight, you came in here and you look right and you dress right and you smell right, hopefully, and uh, you act right. And you know when to say yes, sir. And you know when to do that hymn. And you know when the repeat, repeating on the chorus is. And, and uh, we know all the parts for the songs. And we, listen, we know all of it. We can play the game, can't we? Most of us, we've been around it enough. We know how to play the game. But let me tell you tonight, God is not looking for somebody to play the game. God is looking for genuine Christians that will just be honest and say, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. God will begin to come in, and he'll begin to use you. He'll begin to change things around. But we're, we're so busy trying to look the part that we never are the part. Most of us, there's, there's a bunch of people, and I know because you say how you, it's in my church. We're more, we're more interested in, 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 in impressing the visiting preacher with our pharisaical phylacteries. We are more impressed. We're trying to impress the visiting preacher with a, hey, how's it going, brother? Then God knows that we are a miserable wretch and we need revived. God knows how wicked you are. God knows how complacent you are. God knows that your mind right now is 10,000 miles away from this church service. And how about you do this? Why don't you just get honest and say, I need the Lord. Some of us tonight, I say this all the time when I go to churches, some people in the church, they see me coming and their halos are on so tight their horns start showing. <laughs> you remember that song we used to sing in churches? It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, 
It's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my mother, not my father, but it's me, O oh Lord. We can't even get God's people to do that honestly anymore. We're too busy poking our husband when something applies to him and letting it go over our head when it applies to us. We're too busy looking at the teenagers of the church saying, yeah, get them teenagers. I remember when I got saved the first couple years, people would say stuff like this, burn them! Can I say this? If you're too busy in the church service thinking about somebody else that needs revived, you're the very one that needs revival. We can't even get honest anymore. You go to a church, barely anybody comes to the altar. Half the men are addicted to pornography. The other half used to be here, will be. And we preach on holiness, and they look at us, amen, preacher. Thank you for being so quiet. I'm glad you're listening right now. We're in a mess. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. Listen, that tragic thing that happened, that, that tragic, man, I, I, my, I saw my wife posted about it. I didn't even know anything that was going on. Uh, but my wife being a school teacher, a public school teacher, man, her heart just broke for what happened in Texas today. And I still don't even know the details of it yet. And man, boy, our heart does break about this, and it ought to break about it. And we see that death, 13 different people. I believe it was somewhere near 13 or more people lost their lives, maybe even up to 18 people lost their lives, and it's tragic. We say, man, that's horrible. And yet you sit in church and despise people when the God of heaven said, if you hate your brother, you have committed murder. We sit here and we look at, we look at Hollywood with their five and six marriages. And we say, oh, another star getting divorced. And yet you walk around and look upon women with lust in your heart. We, we, we need some help from God. We need some help. We cannot even just get honest. How in the world are you supposed to get some help? We got some people that, that we may have some people tonight here that they've been dealing with their salvation. They've been struggling with it for years, but they don't want to get honest and say, it's me. And some of you, some people will go to hell acting like they got a ticket to heaven because they will not humble themselves and say, oh God, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. Some of us are trying to impress everybody else. Our pastor's son, we're almost done tonight. That conviction won't last too long. Our pastor's son, he was 16 years old. And he was in, we were at a Christian football camp together. And he had been under conviction. Say, what's conviction? That's when God gets on you and he doesn't leave you alone about something. That's not a guilt trip, it's a Holy Ghost trip. God begins to get on you about something and get on you about something. And God began to get on him that he wasn't saved and he knew it. And here's what he was saying. But what they're going to think if I get saved, I'm a preacher's kid. And my dad's the pastor. I've been on soul winning trips. I've been on soul winning marathons. I've preached in our church. I've told other people how to get saved. What are they going to think? And by the way, Satan may be saying that to you tonight. What are they going to think if I get saved? Here's what we're going to think. Amen and Hallelujah. We're going to be happy for you. Don't let Satan fool you into not being honest tonight. And he finally said, what are they going to think if I get saved? 
And finally, he got at that football camp, and God began to break him down and break him down and break him down. And finally, he was out on the practice field. He still had his shoulder pads on, and he said, I can't take this anymore. And he said, Coach, can I go to the bathroom? And he went into one of the porta johns, porta potties, and he got saved in the porta potty. I said, he's the only man ever to come out cleaner than what he went into a porta potty. You know what the church did? When he got back that next Sunday and he walked the aisle and he said, I got saved. Here's what we did. We said, what? You're a preacher's kid. We're going to vote you out of the church. Who do you think you are? We didn't do that. We hugged his neck. We wept him and we said, glory to God. Hallelujah. God's still saving sinners. Wouldn't it be a shame if he went to hell? just because he couldn't get honest? Wouldn't it be a shame if some of you were to walk out of this room tonight and wreck your life because you just simply can't even be honest? I guarantee you not. There are some teenagers right now, soon as they, right now in their minds, as soon as they hit 18, they're out of this church never to come back again. And it's not even because they're wicked right now. It's because they can't even get honest and they won't get the help that they need. Because if you cannot be honest, you cannot be helped. What if you got honest and said, Mom and Dad, I'm hurting, I'm struggling? What if you got honest and say, Preacher, I know I'm a deacon in the church, but I'm struggling. Preacher, listen, my marriage is hurting. We'd rather, we'd rather, here's what we do. We fight all the way to church, don't we? And then when we see the pastor in the, in the church, boy, hey, preacher, how's it going? What if we just got honest and say, Preacher, we're having a tough time? And you get the help that you need, and all of a sudden, 20, 30 years from now, you say, Thank God. Thank God I just got honest. Thank God I just got honest and said, oh, it's me standing in the need of prayer. And I say this, we've got to be honest, number one. i got two points. We've got to be honest about our condition. Honest about our condition. Let me ask you tonight, what's your spiritual condition right now? I'm, I'm not asking you what you think you want the evangelist to think your spiritual condition is. There, there's some in this room right now, it's been, it's been months since you've really enjoyed reading God's word. Oh, you still check your little box. But Jesus is on the outside, isn't he? It's just routine. It's just, yeah, I pledged, I've been reading it, it's, but it's not burning anymore. There's no excitement in your prayer life anymore. You just do it because you know somebody's going to say it and you don't want to feel guilty. You say, how do you know? Because I've been there. I've been there where I wanted to check the box so if the preacher as a teenager, my youth pastor said, who's been reading their Bible, I can feel good about myself because I at least went through the motions. This sounds like that Laodicea in church. They went through the motions, but Jesus wasn't in it. He was on the outside. You honest about your condition tonight? Can you honestly say, sit there, I'm all that God wants me to be. I'm the one preaching it. I can't say that. I can't say that everything in my heart, nothing between my soul and the Savior. There's some things, there's, there's some attitudes. Some of you, it's some gossip between you and the Savior. Some of you, it's some pride. Some of you, it's some bitterness, isn't it? And you can't even enjoy church because you can't admit that you are bitter. 
But the first step to getting help is admitting, yeah, it's me. Are you honest about your condition? And if you can't even be honest about your condition, what about number two? You need to be honest about your concern. This church wasn't even, they, they weren't in any kind of spiritual condition, and they weren't very concerned about it either. They said, hey, we're rich, we're increasing good, we have need of nothing. You don't need anything? You're, you're telling me there's only a handful of churches in the area of Seattle, and you don't need anything? There's people that are killing each other down at the schoolhouse like what we saw today, and we don't need anything? There's people going to hell every, every second of our lives. Three people will die, and most of them will go to hell, and we don't need anything? Oh, I need them. Some of us, people walk by us daily. Some of us have lost loved ones, and there's no concern. Some of you ought to be in panic mode for your kids right now because they're about to go to the devil, and you have no concerns? we get honest tonight? Can we get honest with just enough to say, I need a revival. I need a revive. Not my wife. Not the person down the row from me. Not my kids. Not the preacher. The leadership of the church. I need revive. You know the greatest, the greatest part of the Garden of Eden was everybody kept doing like this when they were confronted with their sin. Adam! Who? Why'd you sin? Who told you you were naked? Well, God, that, that, that woman. Eve! Who told you? Well, it was that serpent. Aaron! Why in the world would you be worshiping a golden calf? Well, it's the people. Saul, why are you over here sacrificing? You're not a priest. What are you doing? Well, Samuel was taking too long. Stop making excuses. Let's just get honest tonight. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.